Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Thank you, Paige. They just love what comes out of the mouths of children. Um, my granddaughter uh, going shopping with Marge and uh, says, I-, I don't need anything, I've already got everything. And but she's looking intently. And then she starts running around the shops and, and Marge is going, come, we've got we to go. Giving up is not an option. And she's four years old. <laughs> You'll love what comes out of mouths of children these days. Listen, I'm on the last or second to last week of this series, Paradox, as we're unpacking uh, the book of Mark. And as you can see up on the screen, uh, we've had some great messages that have come through this series. Um, and then on week five, I'm on, uh, the message is called The Trap, and I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what Ben has to say next week to wrap up this series. So, um, so I'm looking forward to this, see how we go. I think it's a fairly tough message, but I, I'm excited to bring it. I think God's doing something um, amongst us, amongst our hearts, and amongst uh, Christians in general. And um, so let me pray, and I want to get into this. Father... Lord, we just pray that you move, not by my words, but by your spirit, and that you revive your people, revive people's hearts right across this land, right across this world. The Father starts with us as the temple of the living God, I pray that you revive our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the trap. Let me give you a little bit of... Um, Uh, I guess, set the scene a little bit. Remember in the book of Mark chapter 8, and Jesus uh, says to his disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter pipes up, you know, he says, you're you're the Messiah. And then Jesus from that time on started sharing about how how he must suffer and die and how he was... uh, He came to serve, not to be served. And Peter pulls him aside and rebukes him. That's, that's not going to happen that way. And, and Jesus rebukes him by saying, get behind me, Satan. You know, sometimes um, we can stand in God's way. And, he, and Jesus wasn't calling Peter Satan. He was calling him, you're an adversary standing in the way of my plan and purpose for the redemption of mankind. And what Peter, what Peter didn't realize is that his beliefs, his uh, the whole nation of Israel were waiting for, for the Messiah to come to set them free. And, and, and Peter's expectations, his, his beliefs, uh, uh, what he'd been trained and taught growing up as a Hebrew boy was that this Messiah, he, he, he's going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem and he's going to wipe out the, 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 the Roman army and he's going to set us free and set his kingdom up and reign again so that we can be continue on as the children of God. And in that, and, and that might seem reasonable. He grew up all his life with that. But he was standing in the way of God's plan. And sometimes we can do that. We can stand in the way of God's plan and purposes. It might seem reasonable. It might seem right. It might, our teachings and what we've believed uh, and what we've taken on 
And, and we, we can have sometimes preconceived ideas of what God's plan and purpose is and how he's going to outwork that. And sometimes our way of thinking how God's going to outwork that is not necessarily how he is going to work that out. And therefore, we can stand as an adversary stopping God from his plan and purpose. So I'm going to unpack Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler. That's my passage that I'm bringing this morning. So Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And if you've got your notebooks, your, your Mark notebooks, please take notes. It's important to take notes. Hearing and writing helps it settle in the heart a bit more. And then practicing it, <laughs> even better. Um, so, so take notes. Now I'm going to read from uh, chapter 17. It's, it's on the screen there. You can read alongside with me. And as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud and honor your mother and father. Teacher, he replied, all these I have kept since I was a boy. See, he knew the commandments. And as a good Hebrew boy, he would have memorized the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the, the books of Moses. And, and, and from his boyhood, the conviction of what he was reading kept him disciplined, kept, kept him true, kept him um, dedicated, kept him integrous to all the way right up into his young adult life. And verse 21 says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. The author wants, to see, wants us to see the emotional connection, connection here. That Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he says, one thing you lack. He said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Verse 22 says, at this the man's face fell and he went away sad. And in, in, the, in the Greek, it's, it's, it's more grieved, grieved of heart because he had such great wealth. Again, the author wants us to, the reader, wants the reader and the hearer to, to understand or get a glimpse of the emotions here. Grief is a feeling of losing something very important to you, very close to you, even part of you. It's part of your life. You see, he was, he was sincere. Remember, he ran up to Jesus and fell on his knees. He, he wanted this. He wanted to understand eternal life, but, but he thought he could add that to what he already had. He thought he could just add that into his life to achieve a, eternal life. And, and Jesus was saying, no, that, that, it doesn't happen that way. And, and see, he, for him, giving away everything was, was more than just wealth. It was everything that went with the wealth. See, the Bible says that he was a rich, young ruler. He, he was in the prime of his life. He would have grown up through university and um, t uh, high marks. He was achieving high results and, and had probably had great positions lined up. And as a young uh, adult, he, he stepped into probably CEO. He had the wealth to prove that he had success. 
But on top of that, he was a ruler. He had prominence. He had, he had influence. Uh, he had uh, he, he had a prominence, he had position. To give away his wealth would mean that he would lose everything else that went with the well, uh, that went with it. And Jesus says, and, and that grieved him, and Jesus says, one thing that you lack. Now to, ha- to have that one thing that he lacked, he would have to remove everything that was in the way of that one thing to discover it or to see it. And Jesus laid it out very clearly for him without telling him directly. Directly, Jesus is very good at that, isn't he? He told him every commandment that he was actually following to the, to the letter of the law. He only named six commandments. And those six commandments have everything to do with his relationship to community. If you remember in Mark chapter 12, it's on the screen in verse 30, the greatest commandments when the teacher challenged Jesus. What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. He was loving his neighbor. He was loving his community. As a wealthy, successful uh, leader, he was serving his community with all his heart. He believed it. It was a conviction that he had, that he was going to meet the needs of his community, that he was going to fulfill. He wasn't going to use his influence or his wealth to to abuse uh, people. But he loved his community. He served all his life up to this point. But the one thing that was lacking was the first part of the commandment that Jesus said. The first commandment, if you remember, it says, thou shalt not have another idol before you. He had made an idol out of his life. His life and everything that he had accomplished had become his first love. Missing that one thing, to love the Lord God with all your heart, and with all your soul. I mean, he would have had a sense of love or appreciation. He loved the word. He, he, he was dedicated, committed. He understood who he was as a Hebrew, that they, they have the one true God, and, and he believed that. But his love for his life had taken the place that God should. And that's why Jesus says there's one thing that you're lacking. You know, we can sometimes put things uh, before our love for God. Sometimes it's our careers. Our careers are good to have. Because, you know, it, it, it serves your community, it serves the family, it serves, you know, what you're trying to achieve. It, it's, a, it's a great thing to have. Careers are important to, to outwork uh, your giftings and your skills in a way that's, you know, honouring and uplifting and, and feeling that reward of, of, of achievement there. But sometimes we look for those careers that fill the need within us for importance, for value, for, for, for um, you know, security. And we can do the same with relationships. We, we, can, we can look for relationships instead of building a life as togetherness, as oneness, but look for relationships that, feel, that make me feel complete. And we can do the same with lifestyle. We, it's, it's great to have things and hobbies and, and so forth, and it's important for the well-being of who you are to, to outwork things apart from you know, work and commitments and so forth, but to relax and enjoy. But sometimes we add things to our life to give us a sense of value and, and importance. 
see where we slot ourselves in society to give it to, to, to deal with our own insecurities and, and our self uh, worth. John one, one John, sorry, chapter two. Oh no, look at my fingers. I can't, I can't get it. <laughs> my wife's picked up on that. She's gone. <laughs> um, one John chapter two verse sixteen. It says, "For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world." from the world, from our fallen nature. It was initiated by the serpent in the Garden of Eden. He got the ball rolling. But from then on, we just can't help ourselves. We continue to fall down that rabbit hole, that, that spiraling down. And, and um, you know, this has caused so much wickedness, corruption, and a twisting of the heart. See, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are all issues of the heart. And they outwork themselves in I, I want, I deserve, I need, my right, my decision, my choice. And, and even if you look at our Christianese, our, our prayers, nine, over 90% of our prayers all have to do with what I want. It's not building a relationship with God. Yes, God wants us to understand our needs and, and rely on him and, and to lean on him, but, but most of our prayers are all about what I need, what I want. Most of our Christianese is carnal. And if, if we look at um, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our carnal nature is the trap, and it's spring-loaded for you and I. Our lack, our desires, our incompleteness are the lure. And our heart's desires and emotional attachments and, uh, 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 keep leading us into that trap. And therefore, Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, I do not understand what I do. Uh, uh, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Is this okay? <laughs> Let's go to Genesis and uh, have a look where it all started. Genesis chapter 3. Sorry. <laughs> it's the paper slippery. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, it was front and center. Uh, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch unless you die. And we don't know how long they'd been in the garden at this point in time, but we're pretty sure, we're pretty certain that there hasn't been any temptation up to that point until a seed of doubt is sown and then soon after desire. Verse four, then the serpent says to the woman, you shall, you shall not surely die. 
there's the seed of doubt. You can hear Eve's mind processing these new thoughts. What do you mean? Uh, did I hear correctly? Uh, did I misunderstand God? Verse 5, and the serpent continues, for, the Lord, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You can hear her thinking, hold on, hold on. God knows something I don't know. Well, what is it that God knows that I don't? And here's where desire takes hold of us. I want to know what God's not telling me. I, I want to know what's on the other side, what I can't see. And we, we, we know the saying, we always look at the grass as greener on the other side of the fence and we want it. Over time, wisdom brings correction to a lot of our mistakes, don't they? You know, the older you get, the more wiser you became, become because you get to learn about the mistakes you've made and you bring correction in your life. And we know that Adam and Eve were created perfect, but they were lacking wisdom. Proverbs says that wisdom is applied knowledge. Knowledge comes via learning. So therefore, wisdom comes with time. And we see that Jesus, who was the second Adam, in, in, in uh, Luke chapter 2.52, it won't be on your screens, it's, it, it says that, that Jesus, remember being the second Adam and being fully God, entered into our time, into our world, and it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. Adam and Eve would have gained wisdom like God, to be like God over time. But they saw a shortcut. They saw an opportunity with Jesus in 33 years as God incarnate did what Adam and Eve should have done by trusting God in the process. You know, we, can, we, we live in a, a fast-paced world where we're always looking for shortcuts, aren't we? You know, we, 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 when we travel to work, we time how long it takes us and we think about how can we take time off that? So I leave a little bit late, I get to work a little bit, you know, less time uh, and, or, 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 you know, leave a little bit earlier or, or we try to work out how we can save spending two or, or three hours a day travelling. And even in our work and our tasks and what we do, we're, we're looking to how we can find shortcuts that, that I can make this job easier and quicker so I can spend more time doing the things you know, that I might enjoy better and so forth. And we do that right throughout life. We do it without even thinking. We, you know, time rules us, yet we were created in time to dominate and have dominion over. And, um, but Jesus, you know, he, he took 33 years as incarnate God to outwork the plan for the salvation of mankind. He waited thousands of years and then came into our world but didn't do it straight away, spent 33 years into the time when he says, okay, now it's time. We're always looking for shortcuts and we sometimes miss or stand in the way of what God wants to do. We look for shortcuts in our work and our commitments and our disciplines. Well, I mean, we spend more time... Uh, filling voids in our life that, that only God is supposed to fill. I mean, you think about how much time you spend in, and, and I 
speak to myself here, it's, this, this, is, this is really just a, a place of being vulnerable, I guess. It, you know, if you think about how much time you spend in, uh, in studying the word compared to watching Netflix a week, or how much time you spend praying and loving God uh, compared to how much social media time. And, and you get to realize that we do look for things that make us feel comfortable. And instead of pursuing the things that God calls us to in loving and commitment to him, that's, he, he loved, he loved the rich young ruler because he was disciplined, he was commitment, he was obedient, Paige. <laughs> Thank you for that. Verse 5 says, And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And this seals the deal, to be like God. And this is where we see the same sin that tempted Lucifer in the book of Isaiah, the morning star, you know, the radiant, glorious, angelic being. Being one step away from God chose to take that step to be like God. His five I wills, the last one, I will be like the most high God. What caused him to take that step? Who knows? We can speculate. Maybe it's um, he's up there in his place of radiant, as a radiant angelic being, being close to God and being looked at. And, and, uh, and, then, and then the Trinity decides that they're going to uh, create earth and, and, and creation and, and then place uh, his prized possession, which is us, created in his image and his uh, Hebrew says that we will we are created a little lower than angels but eventually we will rule angels and maybe at that moment Lucifer thought that that should be me and became prideful and then at that remember he was cast out of heaven like lightning to earth and maybe that's where he tempted Eve because he wanted us to fall like he did anyway as, as, a, as an accuser he we see it in Job's I'll prove to you that they will accuse, uh, curse you. But anyway, that's just speculating. But, um, but we see the same temptation. Here we see he was tempting Eve to put self in front of her view through, and to see the tree through her lack, what was missing, and put herself first and falling into the trap of self taking the fruit would mean that they would be like God for themselves to choose what is good and bad and and we look for things that we can rule and have control in our life in verse 6 it says and so when the woman saw that the tree was good and the hebrew word means pleasant as tobe it means pleasant it means valuable it means my precious, all those Lord of the Rings buffs. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, that it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, that the tree was desirable to make one wise, the pride of life, and she took of the fruit and ate. The tree that had been there all along, They passed by it multiple times, never giving it a second look until the time when they looked at it through their lack. We're always striving to fill what's lacking in our lives. 
You know, being born again or being filled with the Spirit or being renewed, whatever your term you like to call our Pentecostal experience, it, it, it doesn't remove the old you. The devil did his dirty work in the garden and now he's defeated. But the remnants of his work are still with you. The battle is here. In Ephesians 6, it says, the battle is not with flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers in high places. Let me ask you, where is the highest place that you can go in heavenly places? It's obviously where the throne of God is. But where is the throne of God? It's here. The battle of principalities and powers in high places are all around in the heart. This is the battle. And the sword of the Spirit, which continues in Ephesians 6, it's not something that you're wielding and, and, and attacking here and, and there. It's a scalpel. It's to divide between soul and spirit, between bone and marrow. It's an internal work. This is where the battle is. This is what we have to die to. When, when Jesus says... That, let, let me, this scripture here, Mark chapter 8, 34. I'm running out of time, so I'm gonna skip a bit. When the, when the, it says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciples must, must, come on, louder, deny themselves. Deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. I'm going to ask the communion to be distributed. The heart of the gospel is the cross, it's the center of everything. And Jesus defeated the enemy on the cross. It's where we must nail ourselves to. We must nail ourselves to the cross as something that you have to take up daily. It's something we have to die to. We, we were born in, the, in this world with its lust of the flesh and its lust of the eyes and pride of life and we have to know how to nail ourselves to the cross, to remove ourselves out of the way like Peter had to, like the rich young ruler couldn't do. The cross is all about giving up the power of your old nature. It's about pouring your life out like Jesus' blood as it flowed out from his body. We have to allow our old nature to flow out of us, to pour it out. It's about dying to self. You know, I'll skip that. <laughs> that's, that's for another time. Can I get you all to stand with me as we take communion? Jesus calls us to follow in his footsteps, giving up the power of our of self, removing ourself. We need to die to self. You know, King David, 
after a lustful attraction led to an adulterous, adulterous affair that led to a pregnancy of another man's wife that led to make him try to correct that in his own strength and his own wisdom that led to ordering the death of a friend a desire a moment of weakness lured him into a spiral of his own trap of self-fulfillment self-preservation self-glorification this is where the battle is my friends Nathan the prophet which you know confronted David and brought everything out into the open and David realized that he's undone that nothing's hidden which led him to repentance that led him to write Psalms 51 where it says God create a clean heart in me which led God to say he is a man after my own heart David eventually removed himself out of the way and this and through communion this morning I want to give you an opportunity for your own prayer before God to say in, in taking these emblems his flesh which he nailed to the cross which was nailed to the cross it was a it was a brutal, cruel punishment. But in the hands of God, it was a victorious, glorious uh, victor victory. And you know, sometimes in our lives, we don't understand, but some of the things that we go through can seem cruel and brutal. And sometimes we want God to stop what's happening to us. We don't understand, but sometimes God says, just trust me in the journey, because at the end of it, there is a, a glorious victory. So this morning, as you take your communion and remember what Jesus did for you, but gave us the opportunity that we can now. See, Adam and Eve couldn't. The rich young ruler couldn't, but Jesus did so that we can. And the question or the challenge is, will you? Will you take up the challenge to die to self? To spend enough time before his presence to allow him to reveal your heart to you that you're able to take it and remove it by the grace of God because what he has done for you. Will you take up that challenge? Let's pray. Father, just thank you for what you've done for us. That you gave us the opportunity to seek after you. To join with you. To be filled by you. And to walk in the newness of a created a, a, a clean heart and Father I know that continually that we have to journey in this life that we're always going to face the challenges because our old nature is right there but the cl closer we stay in, in the light the less the shadows 
that takes hold of us. So Father, I just thank you as we take of your blood, of your flesh, that we now can nail our lives to you in Jesus' name.